Welcome back to Over Here Today. I am talking with two fantastic saxophone readists, saxophone players, uh, both Peter and Will Anderson, and they have a brand new record that came out on May 15th, uh, just a few days ago. And uh, I'm excited to have them with me today. So thanks guys for being here, I appreciate that. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, first of all, before we jump in any further, I'd love for both of you to introduce yourselves so people can get to know uh, your voice so they can identify who's speaking as we go along. And then um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the record, kind of an overview, and we'll dive more deeply into it in a minute. Sure, yeah. So uh, this is Peter Anderson here. I'm the older twin by 10 minutes. Um, so you can, you'll be able to hear that in my voice. But he's shorter but, by one inch. So. <laughs> um, but I, but uh, I'm, I'm playing tenor sax. Um, that, that's my main horn, and that's what I'm playing on this new recording. And, um, yeah, I uh, grew up in Washington, D.C., moved to New York when I was 18, um, and have just been recording and gigging and, and traveling all over. Um, but, you know, just really lucky to be in New York and lucky to have met a lot of great musicians like Nick Finzer and, and many others who have spread across, you know, the globe and really uh, elevated jazz and uh, brought it to a new level. Um, so uh, my brother and I are thrilled to announce this new release of this latest album, uh, which has standards and original music and features Dave Wong, Jeb Patton and Jimmy Cobb. And uh, yeah, happy to be doing this podcast. Thanks, Nick. Of course, Will. Yeah, so my name's Will Anderson, and um, I am the younger, more spry uh, brother. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of people, including some of our friends, can't actually tell my brother and I apart uh, visually, but once they hear us play, they can tell us apart. So I think that's a good thing. You know, it it, uh, it shows how individual this music is and how much uh, kind of jazz opens the doors for so much nuance and individuality. Um, so that's that's really why I got interested in, in playing jazz. Um, when, uh, when we were both in the third grade, we were watching uh, TV um, before we started playing instruments. And there was a a commercial that came on for Chips Ahoy Cookies. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the soundtrack was Benny Goodman playing Sing, Sing, Sing. Oh, sure. I think I remember these commercials, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that was the moment that we, we kind of, the light turned on. Uh, so my brother and I both started playing the clarinet. And uh, shortly after that, we added the saxophone. Uh, we both started on alto, but my brother gravitated to the tenor. And we just started collecting recordings, um, you know, by Duke Ellington, um, Sidney Bechet, Dexter Gordon, Charlie Parker, Sonny Stitt, um, you know, just hundreds of records. That was back when uh, record stores still existed. You know, we'd go to Tower Records and just uh, fill up bags of, of recordings. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just love the fact that I could play a Cannonball Adderley recording and play uh, Johnny Hodges recording and they sounded totally different. Um, so that was really cool to me. So started emulating some of those players and um, 
you know, when my brother and I came to New York City, we just started, um, you know, rubbing shoulders with some of these amazing musicians who we heard on these recordings, you know, like um, Hank Jones and uh, Jimmy Heath, uh, Tootie Heath, um, you know, the Benny Golson, um, the list, the list goes on. So, um, you know, in the back of both of our minds, Jimmy Cobb was really someone who we always wanted to record with, but um, it, it kind of took several years of us not only to get up the courage to ask him, but we also um, kind of got to know him over the years. We would go to concerts that we, he was playing and we would talk to him. Um, in a few instances, we got to sit in with him on gigs just by, you know, kind of making connections and, and building up our credibility. And then we um, hired him to perform with us a few times. And then uh, eventually we asked him to record with us. So, um, you know, by then we had, we had confidence that he would be a great uh, sideman musician, you know, because um, even though he's one of the most famous jazz musicians in the world, I really uh, was blown away by how humble he was in the studio. Um, and how much of a team player he is. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why he's so successful. Totally. So I'll, we'll circle back to, to talking about Jimmy Cobb and, and the band on the record, but I want to know who was better when you guys first per, picked up the clarinet. So who, who, <laughs> who was who the quick takeoffer and who had to catch up? It depends who you ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would your mom say? <laughs> Pete, Pete, you want to handle that one? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess... You know, when, when, you're, when you're younger, um, when you're in middle school, high school, college, you know, there's all these kind of auditions that you're taking for county yeah. band, state band. Um, you know, like in high school, there was like the Grammy band. There was like NFAA, Young Arts, Betty Carter, Jazz Ahead. There were all these things. So my brother and I were like constantly like auditioning for these different summer camps and residencies. And, you know a couple times like will would get the spot and i wouldn't get it and then uh, other times like i would win the spot and will wouldn't get it so i think it kind of just kind of goes in ebbs and flows um oh, sure I'm yeah i mean i would say like you know i just had a baby a year ago so i think will is probably getting a little bit more practice time oh uh, sure <laughs> i am but but when he eventually has a kid with his wife, I'm going to, my kid's going to like be in first grade and I'm going to have like all this time and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to catch up. So that's the plan. So what, what made you guys like decide that you were going to make a career and a life in music and a life playing, playing jazz? I know, I know you were involved in all those high school programs, like so many of us, but like, what was the, was there a moment or was it like a gradual thing that kind of led you guys to it? And I think you both, you went right to Juilliard from, dc right you just kind of yeah so so what kind of was the, was there a light bulb moment or was it just kind of like that was the path and you just were on it yeah it's it's a great question um i mean i think there's there's always like you know little little moments that we remember that mm -hmm. uh that had a huge impact you know our our, our mom kind of reminds us um a time when we were in I believe it was the sixth grade and we um, see, being in DC, we had access to seeing a lot of these um, 
these military bands, like there's the Airmen of Note and the Army Blues. So we'd always go hear them, which are very high level um, big bands. And after hearing um, the Airmen of Note for the first time, we came home, we, we ran into the kitchen and we said, mom, we know what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Um, so I think that that was a pretty cool moment. I think especially we were um, very influenced by the more classic sounds in jazz, like the big bands and Count Basie and Duke Ellington. Um, but I think also just being in the DC area, we had access to a lot of great teachers. Um, we had, you know, probably a dozen teachers throughout our, our high school and middle school years. Um, several of them were classical teachers um, in the National Symphony Orchestra or the Kennedy Center, Kennedy Center Opera House Orchestra. Um, we actually studied with uh, Gladys Knight's cousin. His name was uh, Clarence Knight. Uh, he was a, a great um, alto player and, and flute player and uh, clarinet player. And uh, I, I could go on. There, there was a dozen more great uh, players and teachers. So I think that was probably the biggest for, for me. Hmm. Just the influence of the teachers. Yeah. And then um, how did you guys land on Juilliard? I mean, I kind of always had heard of you guys and we, you know, I think we're sort of pretty much around the same age, but, you know, I always heard, oh yeah, the Anderson twins, the Anderson twins, you know, then, uh, but we didn't actually meet until I moved to New York, which is after you guys had been there for a while. But so what kind of, what, like what drew you to New York? What drew you to Juilliard? And, and Yeah, well, um, our, let's see, our, our mom grew up in New Jersey and um, our, our parents actually met in New York and they went to Columbia University. So like when we were in high school, we were coming up um, to visit our grandma who actually lived, lived in New Jersey. So we, like once a year we would come up to New York um, and we would do like one big thing, like a Broadway show one year. Um, like we went to the Blue Note Jazz Club to hear David Sanborn. Mm. And we were at like, I don't know, 12 or 13. And then like the next year we went to the Vanguard to hear Jackie McLean. Um, and then like the year after that, we'd go to like the Met or something. So it was like kind of like a Christmas present. So we were kind of coming up to New York regularly. And then when we were in high school, Jazz at Lincoln Center, um, you know, and Wynton Marsalis was just being formed. Mm -hmm. And around the same time, the Juilliard program was being formed. And so, you know, this was in on NPR radio and, and we started hearing about like all the Ellington music that they were playing. Um, and so through that and uh, applying to the essentially Ellington program, we met Victor Goins and we just really loved Victor and the way he was like playing clarinet and saxophone equally well. And just, um, yeah. And, and it, Juilliard was just like a great fit for us. Um, because Victor, um, like I mentioned, uh, was a great clarinet teacher, also saxophonist. Um, and we just really wanted to go. So we, a few years out, we just put our sights on it. It's like, okay, we're going to get those auditions and win the spots. Mm -hmm. so that was that was kind of how it happened. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it was sim similar for me, except that I didn't get in and I had to wait until my... <laughs> but it was for the best. But... Um, now, you guys are some of the most enterprising, you know, 
young jazz musicians out there making stuff happen, making records. This is not your first record. You guys have had many projects before this. Could you kind of walk us through the like the projects, like what led to this one? Because this one feels like not the the other ones seem really big too, but like with Jimmy Cobb and everything, it seems like a, an important one in the history of your releases. Yeah, well, um, like you mentioned, we do have um, kind of many projects that we formed over the mm -hmm. years. Um, one thing that we do that's kind of very different from this record is we have a trio where we have the two of us um, plus a guitarist, which is uh, more of a chamber group. And we kind of experiment with um, the, the uh, kind of minimalist uh, kind of option you can do with jazz. And we've made uh, three records with that configuration, um, which is mostly based on um, great American songbook standards. Um, our, our very first record that we did was um, mostly original music. And we had uh, pianist Kenny Barron uh, join us as well as Kenny Washington. And um, so that, I'd say that first record was, was really important for us and really kind of gave us the confidence and the the inspiration to keep recording our own original music because you know when i was in school i was writing original music but i think it um it's another big step to make a recording and record your own original music um because it kind of it, it gave me confidence to uh, compose more and do more of it so I'd say that that first recording was pretty big. Um, but, um, you know, I've always I've always loved composing, but it's composing is it's sometimes difficult to get the motivation and kind of find a reason to keep doing it, because I don't know, in, the, in this day and age to try to gig regularly where you're performing the original music is pretty difficult. Um, to have your sidemen like know the songs and be well rehearsed and uh, recording is is a great way to like have a goal prepare rehearse the band and all that so um, you know that's that's why re like recording these original tunes that we put together is really important to me Great. And, you know, I'd love to hear the story, maybe the, the you t touched on the story already, but um, so how did you first, you know, c meet Jimmy Cobb? Like who introduced you and you sat in, like, where was that? And then how did, how did that translate into making this, this record happen? Yeah, I remember one of the first times I ever saw him was actually when he, when he came to Juilliard and he was supposed to give a master class. I can't. I can't remember if you were there, Nick, or not. Um, I don't. I think maybe. I don't know. I forget. Yeah, this was like in my graduate years. Right. Oh and, yeah, then I would have been there. Yeah. So like, he was supposed to give a two-hour master class, and he walked in the room, and sat down at the drums and played for forty-five minutes, like just solo <laughs> drums, and, you know, it's like it was. It was like the most. It, it, it was like a full band, you know, like everything was there, the time, the creativity, the, the you know, the variance and what he was doing. And, and, and I just remember like all the students just like, just like glued on what he was doing for the whole time. Like, um, and you know, here he is like in his eighties, you know, just, just playing great. So I, I like vividly remember that. And then 
uh, when I graduated and I had more time to, uh, like I remember going to Fat Cat and, um, and hearing him play. I remember hearing him play at Smoke Jazz Club. And I would always make an effort, like I always do, like whoever I'm going to hear, like if, if there's an opportunity to meet the person and, you know, just say as little as like, like, um, you know, I, like I really like what you're doing. Like, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks so much for putting on a great show. I mean, I think, I think in, in the arts, you know, you, you have to connect with the person and just express gratitude, you know, because we're not, we're not playing for a million dollars in this business, you know? Um, and I think more than money, the performer really needs to like, you know, feel good from the audience. So, so like, yeah. So Jimmy Cobb was one of these musicians that I went up to and I just told him, and then, you know, I got to know him. Will and I eventually hired him for a concert as part of highlights and jazz um, in which we had Steve Turay and uh, Veronica Swift and a whole bunch of other people. So that was like a big deal. Um, we recorded it. There was like over a thousand people there and then a few more concerts. And then shortly after that, we asked him to record with us. Um, and uh, yeah, the session went great. He, he learned all the music and, um, he was just so great to work with. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I remember we hearing a story you guys told a little bit, and Will kind of touched on it already a little bit, but about his like professionalism in the studio and just all of that. Could you could you tell us that story again, Will? Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I picked him up from his apartment to drive to the to the session, and um, he's just. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's always thinking about music. He, he loves just talking about music. He was you know, on the way over. He was, he was telling me about his first gig he got when he was a teenager um, playing with Earl Bostic. Oh, wow. So he went on the road to, to play with Earl Bostic. And I mean, Earl Bostic's not one of those uh, big names in jazz. Um, he's one of my all-time favorites. Um, so we got to talk about um, Earl Bostic for a long time and um, hit him playing with Miles Davis and, just tons of other stuff. So um, he's, he's really all about the music. I know it sounds like a cliche, but um, you know, and, and in the studio um, we, we had, uh, we had given him recordings of these songs, but we never actually had a rehearsal with him, mm. um, which is something that we kind of decided that we wanted to do because we wanted it, we wanted it to be really fresh and he's got such great instincts um that we felt like um it would be more fresh just like um with him you know maybe studying the music uh, on his own for a little while and then just going into the studio so and and it i think we made the right decision it was it was great um but you know he's he's never quick to complain uh you know about what anyone else is doing or making excuses um you know he would we uh, we did a few takes of each tune and it was you know common that he would just stop the band and say you know i didn't think i did a great job like let me do that one again um so he's he's really hard on himself but i think that's you know why he's he's been able to compliment so many of these great uh players in jazz so um you know in addition to my brother and i i think having dave wong and jeb they, they know jimmy cobb well and um 
it's actually their first time recording with him as well. So they were, they were thrilled at the same time. Um, but I can't say enough about uh, Jimmy in the studio. He's just, he's awesome. I can only, I can only imagine. So what, what led you to those two other guys? I, I had wanted to ask about uh, Dave Wong and Jeb, obviously great musicians, but what led you to picking them to round out the, round out the band for this project? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been playing with Dave and Jeb for, I don't know, like eight years or so. So we, um, we really wanted to pick two other musicians who we were really close with because um, Jimmy's not someone who we've been playing with for years. So we felt like it would really pull the group together. Um, and, th and then they're also just stylistically, they're, they, you know, we knew that they could just uh, really meld well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, like Jeb Patton was one of the first musicians I met in New York. Um, I played a rehearsal with Jimmy Heath's big band and Jeb was in the band and we like got to talking and we realized that we grew up in the same County in Montgomery County in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So like at this point I've known Jeb, uh, for 15 years, he's like one of my favorite pianists. Um, and then Dave actually graduated from Juilliard the year before I got there. Mm. Um, so his name was kind of floating around uh, the school and like shortly, I met him shortly after that. So, yeah, so we've known uh, Dave Wong and Jeb Patton like for 15 years. Um, plus they played together for years with Jimmy Heath together. So they're, I mean, they're like as tight as any pianist and bassist could be. Um, uh, yeah. So that, that was really how we picked them. It's a great, it's a great band and obviously great musicians. Um, so obviously right now things are a little uh, out of the ordinary. Um, the album was released last week on May 15th and we're all trying to navigate this new, new frontier of the music industry. And I'm imagining you guys had a whole bunch of things coming that maybe are not happening anymore. So I'm just curious if you've made other plans, like what's happening with the record? What, if anything, are you planning any online events or fall events or 2021 events? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th th we definitely had a, a bunch of things. Um, we had a um, performance at Dizzy's Club. I think actually it was supposed to be last night. Um, and uh, we had shows at Birdland and... Uh, Many, many other performances. So yeah, we're, we're kind of like regrouping. Um, you know, I, th I think um, re releasing the album online is, is great uh, these days that you can do that because, you know, 15 years ago, it would be different um, if something oh, like yeah. this happened. Um, sure. But we're definitely going to, um, you know, as soon as things open up, we're going to kind of reschedule things. Um, but uh, we're doing uh, a lot online. We're, we're releasing videos on our YouTube channel and um, not necessarily related to the record, but um, we, we might kind of uh, put out some videos uh, directly related to the record. But as of right now, we're just kind of mailing them out, um, you know, connecting with reviewers about reviews and uh, doing interviews like this and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, re we're really excited about the music and, uh, 
you know, it, it was a mix of some of the standards that we love to play and um, mostly our original music. Um, and uh, if you're an astute jazz aficionado, you'll be able to infer that some of the original tunes are based on uh, American songbook standards. The chord structure is similar. So nice. I always nice. like to do that just like, uh, just like how Charlie Parker did that. Yeah, man. Uh, so what, uh, where can people find the music? Where do you want to direct people to come and check out uh, the new record and all, all of your records? Yeah, well, um, if they want to order it and they want a physical copy, they can do that on Amazon. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, so I, I direct them to Amazon. Um, Spotify. Yeah, if they want to listen to it, they can go to Spotify. Um, if they want to hear more podcasts like this, I'm sure they can go to Outside In Music. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but really, the Outside In website is great, and you can see our record there, but also a lot of other artists um, in our generation, um, like Nick Finzer and other Juilliard grads, like Paul Nedzella is, is on Outside mm -hmm. In, and just a lot of other... Uh, great musicians so you can go to the outside and website i would say that would be the first stop oh that's that's kind of you but what's <laughs> what's your guys website again so we can send people uh, peter and will anderson.com amazing so is there anything else that you guys wanted to mention that i didn't uh bring up quite yet in this conversation oh well yeah i mean um we're i think i think um i assume people know that we're we're kind of at a crossroads with um with the record industry you know mm -hmm. um uh it's you know in the 1940s and 1950s you know and even going on in the 70s 80s 90s music was distributed a different way and what nick is doing with outside in music with with bringing all these like-minded artists in the same generation together um and forming his own label instead of being controlled by you know, like a larger label with with a lot of history is is really unique. So Nick, what you're doing is is just really great for jazz. It's really great for the industry, um, and I think people underestimate how much work goes into running outside in and how much good it does for the jazz community. Well, that's very nice of you to say. Thank yeah. you. Pete. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you guys could take a little bit of time today to t chat about the record. It's a great one. And I hope people can get their own copy and I hope people can take some time to listen. But I uh, really appreciate you guys and I'm sure I'll see you around the internet soon. Thank you.